And another reminder that Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place, and it's free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools, so you can record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. And they'll distribute your podcast for free. So you can hear it on Spotify, Apple, Google, and many more. Just like us here at BraveMaker. Make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So download the Anchor app today and go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Welcome to the Brave Maker Podcast. This is episode 19. I'm Rebecca Amosa. I'm Tony Gapastone. I hope you're digging on this binge-worthy uh, couple podcasts that have come out all in a row. It's like Netflix. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's, let's try it out and let's see. Let's do it. <laughs> so this will be the second podcast by our new correspondent, John Fusco. And this one is a probably... Uh, adult content, um, you know, uh, recommendation. So that if you have little ones in the car, just be aware that this is an adult conversation that will have adult themes. But we're really grateful for John because he interviewed a really unique filmmaker named River Gallo, who John went to school with River. He's an intersex filmmaker whose pronouns are he, him, his. Um, And intersex is something I'm really honestly just learning about. And uh, especially as we're as Brave Maker, we're trying to elevate the stories of the LGBTQ community. This is this is a part. This is being an understanding ally to those who are in this space is an important part of being a Brave Maker. And he shares what it is to be an intersex. I mean, he shares very vulnerably and very mm-hmm. blatantly in detail of what that looked like growing up, um, growing up in a Latino uh, family, and what it looked like to recognize that his sexual organs were not normal. They weren't. Um, binary. They weren't male or female. He was born in between. And he's known, and when he started to discover that, that really changed who he understood himself to be and then how he created art. So he, he did a film, wrote and directed a film called Pony Boy that was uh, recently at a Frameline Film Festival oh, nice. as well. He talks about that. We went to the Frameline, yeah. which was cool. And yeah, you got to read up on him. He's just a, he's kind of a force, a a creative force, a brave maker. And John got in it with him. So very cool. Yeah. um, Which would be a great time to mark your calendar for another film that is coming to the Bay Area. I'll give you the date and then Rebecca can can tell you what it is. It's going to be in Nevada. We're going to be Tuesday, October 15th. And in Redwood City, Wednesday, October 16th, screening a film by filmmaker Daniel Carslake named For They Know Not What They Do. Right. <laughs> I was thinking I'm because putting he, on the spot. Yeah, because I was thinking about his other one, um, the first one. This was like kind the of The Bible a, tells me so. Yeah, right. The, yes. yeah, that's so For They Know Not What They Do. We went and saw that a group of us at the Frameline Film Festival. And let me tell you the emotion mm-hmm. when you were watching this film. Um, it follows different evangelical mm-hmm. Christian um, families and also um, their children who are in the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. And it's just very emotional. And I recommend anyone who has a chance to come watch it to come out. So if you identify with uh, River and his journey, or maybe you're a parent of an LGBTQ plus child, 
or a person of faith. This film, For They Know Not What They Do, is coming to the Bay Area through Brave Maker. And Daniel, who lives in Berlin, is going to be with us. So, gosh, it's just really amazing what is coming our way. And we're trying to hold it with like such trepidation and excitement, you know, and like month by one, month by month, we're selecting these films and getting the provision and sponsorship. So we still depend on your giving and your donations. If that's in your means, please help us at our website, ravemaker.com. You can make your tax deductible donation there and we can continue doing this work and reaching out to filmmakers. So thanks for listening. Thank you. And with that, John Fusco and River Gallo. Brave stories change the world. You are the story. Hey, everybody. This is John Fusco, and uh, I'm here for another episode of the Brave Maker podcast. And uh, today I'm here with the incredibly talented, multifaceted, artist, we'll say, uh, River Gallo, and uh, I just saw his movie Pony Boy at Palm Springs International Film Festival. It was breathtaking, we'll say. It looks beautiful, um, but I think, you know, and, and it's had a very successful run. Um, do you want to tell, uh, tell us where you've screened your short before we move into what it's actually about? Yes, that was a lovely intro. Uh-huh. <laughs> Blushing. <laughs> um, we screened, we had our world premiere at uh, the Mardi Gras Queer Film Festival in Sydney, but then here in America, Tribeca was our big New York premiere. In LA, we did uh, Outfest Fusion. Um, and yeah, Palm Springs is our right now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is, it's been awesome. And then um, next week, you're going to be at another at frame line yeah. At Frameline in San Francisco. Uh, and then, yes, I'll wait to hear back from other festivals, but yeah, it's been kind of all back to back. And, uh, how was screening at Tribeca? I just want to hear it because you're from New Jersey originally. I yes. Know, and, uh, that must've been quite a dream. It, you know, it really was a dream. And then the day of, I was like, the whole time I was like, oh, I'm so excited to screen in front of all my friends and family. And then I got there and I was like, holy shit, I'm screening in front of all my friends and family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's so much easier to screen your film in front of audiences of strangers totally. than people that intimately knew you in high school, your family, and then in college when I went to NYU. So it was kind of like a cross-section of like all the people that had known me my whole life in New York because mm-hmm. I only moved to LA four years ago. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, pretty anxiety-inducing. Yeah. Um, but it was amazing. Uh, you know, I, a lot of uh, great networking and, and industry connections came out of um, out of the screening at Tribeca. And Tribeca, you know, they, they really treat filmmakers well there. Um, but, yeah. Well, I think that, you know, your film... Needed some Xanax. <laughs> yeah. Didn't have some, but it would have been nice. <laughs> you couldn't find any in New York? I didn't try. Sure. <laughs> um, I, you know, your, your movie succeeds on so many levels but i think you know part of i think the reason it is most successful is because of exactly what you're saying is because it's such a personal story and it's such a unique story i mean you know it's uh you're the only person that could have ever probably told this film or told this story the way you did um and so i was wondering maybe if you could just tell us your story sure 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 again um so 
Should I tell what the movie's about? Do I think let's start with yours? Sure, sure, and sure. Then we'll go my story. To the movie. So uh, my story pretty much is that you know I grew up in New Jersey in a in a Latino household. My parents are from El Salvador, um, and they immigrated here from in the eighties. So pretty. You know, there's a lot of like a machismo, like kind of patriarchal culture that they came from, um, and they came to escape the civil war that was happening over there. Flash forward, 1991. Uh, you know, they had been living in New York and settled in New Jersey, and then I was born, um, and I was born uh, with a condition where my testicles never developed. Um, so everything else was there, upset for that, and but they, the doctors chose to tell my parents to not um, tell me until uh, until at 12, until puberty. And so at 12 years old, I found out, and immediately after, they put me on testosterone therapy um, to kind of transition me to be a boy. Um, and then at 16, I had this uh, unconsented prosthetic surgery to put prosthetic testicles in me. Um, and... I say that it was unconsented now, looking back on it, because uh, you know a few years later I would then identify as non-binary, um, and so the decision to make me look cosmetically normal—I'm uh, air quoting normal—male uh, uh, was was a decision based on you know these doctors um, and not educating my parents on all the options that they had, and you know of course my parents definitely wanted to me to have a normal life so they were like yeah sure like we want you to look normal um but looking back on it now they were definitely taken advantage of by the medical industry who had you know capitalist interests of making money yeah. off of a cosmetic surgery and uh and also to maintain a gender binary mm -hmm. and maintain people only looking male and only looking female um and so so yeah that that was something that i kept a secret pretty much my whole life and I always thought it was like um, just kind of this like weird medical thing about myself that I like wouldn't talk about. And then I in NYU I came out as gay, and then you know, queer then became a word, and it was just like oh that feels a little bit better. But everything kind of just felt un not integrated until I started writing um, Pony Boy in grad school uh, just two years ago, and I was looking up. Uh, my condition because I was just like maybe there's more articles about it like online or something and then I saw this BuzzFeed video about the intersex community and I realized intersex was a word and I was just like oh my god like I'm intersex mm -hmm. and it was crazy to me that like it took 27 years for me to figure out what I was and put a word to it and it, you know it was just this kind of like aha moment of like wow this is who I am and my body's anatomy and also my identity can be integrated into one word and also realizing there is a community of people that shared similar stories and also similar rights of human violation, mm -hmm. to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, just la a few years ago, the World Health Organization and the UN declared a lot of these surgeries um, uh, violations of human rights, kind of like a, a female genital general mutilation um so for me i i'm not i mean to say i'm lucky is like kind of like a weird understatement but like there's so many other people with different variations where like you know people were born with enlarged clitorises where doctors will just like cut them off uh in like as babies and it's just like these people don't have choices to 
to for these other people that are altering their bodies permanently. Um, so, so through making the film, it almost gave me this like fervor to be this activist for this, you know, underrepresented community, not only in like the world, but mostly, but also within the queer community. Like, no one really gives any intersex people any visibility. Um, and then it came to my attention after making this film, I was like, okay, I'm going to put this intersex narrative in it that this is the first film written and starring an intersex person in history. So that was pretty crazy. I was like, what do you mean no one's done this before? But it's it just hasn't happened before. And it's just a testament to the fact that like there's so much shame and and stigma and just like invisibility around yeah. um, you know, us that are we're literally biological proof that people are born with variations of different bodies. And there's so there's so much to unpack there, but I want to start. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I'm interested in uh, hearing about what sort of activism you've you've sort of engaged in as a as an artist now yeah. that you've sort of found this about yourself and uh, how that's uh, I guess helped your your work and helped the community. Um, well, a lot of it has been like making the movie and then like and and showing it. I feel like showing the film has been. A, and, and talking and doing stuff like this has been a form of activism in the sense that, like, every time somebody sees it, like, you know, the, the word is mentioned one time in the film, and it's, like, very, it's this brief moment, but you kind of get this backstory, but somehow subconsciously people somehow get it, and then they get me, and then people read about me, and they read my story, and then just kind of, like, just being present and being and having these talks feels like a form of activism because it's... Uh, and like I said in Tribeca, it's it's hard showing the film. Um, you know, every time I show it, it's like, you know, sometimes it's easier than others, but like it, it takes a lot out of me to to talk about something that I wasn't talking about for 27 years of my life, and now it's what I only talk about. Yeah. And then and then the struggle becomes like, you know, attaching myself to, to, to this identity, and it's it's all everyone, you know, wants to talk to me about, and it's just like... You know, it, even as an artist or whatever you are, like it's just attaching to yourself to one specific identity is is a little maddening because it's just like there's so many other parts of myself. But I know that part of me is like the more the more times that I tell someone the definition of intersex, the more times I share my story. That's like one more person that knows we exist, and that's like peeling off the invisibility just a little bit more. So it's like it feels like just like being brave enough to share my story feels like a form of activism. And you know, I've been uh, we've been friends since college, and I've seen your work since college. Uh, and I have to say that this is a you know I've I've always been a fan of your work, but this is a leap. Um, and I think a lot. Of but you see the the the, the beginnings of yeah. the theater oh, work yeah, that absolutely. were like. Yeah. I mean, it is really like I think a lot of it comes from the confidence that right. you found or discovered while you were you know creating this piece, and it yeah. shows. It shows just in your command of like all every tool you have in your toolbox. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I mean, on that note, maybe we should. Uh, and also, you know, you're talking about how. Uh, the word intersex is only used once, right. how like all of this stuff is so nuanced and subtle and you can like pick up on it. Uh, it it's, it's, it's more about an emotion, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and it, it's not to say that the, the queer uh, stuff falls to the side, but it's just that like you are just 
a human being right, like right. everyone else. And you're going through the same heartbreak. You're mm. going through the same uh, uh, stages of, uh, you know, lust and desire and also like looking for who you are. Yeah. Like Bruce Springsteen in New like Jersey. Like Bruce. So let's talk about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's uh, let's can give us a give us your your spiel on the yes. movie itself and how you know all of this sort of contributed to making it. Yes. So uh, so there's that side of me that you know the whole intersex narrative, but a big part of my life has been uh, growing up in New Jersey, and I think and I now I rep Jersey really hard, but like before. You know, it was something I was kind of embarrassed about because, you know, growing up in New Jersey, you're, especially where I'm from, which is really close to New York, you're so close to, like, you know, this greatest, the greatest city in the world, but you're so far away, and that bridge and tunnel couldn't seem, like, further away. And so everyone, I feel like, has this, like, chip on their shoulder, um, just, like, being born in New Jersey. And, and I became a huge fan of Bruce Springsteen when I moved out to California, probably because I was homesick. Um, and I just, I was so inspired by, you know, he's an amazing musician, but it's his lyrics and the poetry in his, in his, um, in his songs that describe New Jersey, like, so well, and those characters and the, like, small townness and that, like, suburban, like, purgatory feeling, um, and, and so his music was a big inspiration for the film, and, uh, yeah, so the film, should I just talk about what the film's yeah, about? Yeah, talk about what the film's about. So, so it takes place on Valentine's Day, and Pony Boy is uh, an intersex sex worker uh, working at a laundromat, and he has these fantasies about this cowboy character um, who then on this one night manifests in real life, and through this kind of magical, romantic encounter, he finds a way to heal some of his trauma from being intersex and, you know, growing up in a household that didn't really accept him. Mm. Um, so yeah, a lot, I really wanted to make a film that, um, you know, really highlighted the theme of feeling trapped mm -hmm. and feeling like there's, you know, there's a guy or there's some kind of form of escape or there's some drug or there's something else that you're keep trying or keep wishing that it's going to help you escape that, whatever that cage that you feel like you're in. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's like really you have the key the whole time to kind of get yourself out of that. And it's, you know, kind of, usually it's a psycho, uh, emotional, mental uh, process to free yourself that only you can do. That only, you know, it's, it's only your responsibility to figure out how to, you know, navigate that and really just kind of, come into yourself so at the end of the day despite you know the intersex narrative and all that um other stuff i really wanted to you know write a story about someone who's whose dream world and so in the film there's a lot of like these like dreams that yeah. come in and out pony boy keeps daydreaming yeah. and um and you're not about sure this guy. like which is really a dream and which is reality at points so. right and to me, I, I always thought that sometimes, you know, when life's so hard, you you have to dream in order to survive, in order to to escape, like, you know, your circumstances. Um, so yeah, I, I yeah, I I think I think Pony Boy became this kind of very specific narrative that kind of just like opens up to a very universal themes and stuff that people are really um, vibing with. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you had uh, um, some help 
from like some pretty big names yes. uh, in making this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emma Thompson and Stephen Fry. Yes. Anyone else? Am I forgetting? Those are the two, the main ones. Those right? are the big ones, but we there was also um, uh, two philanthropists, um, Elizabeth and Johan Sorensen, who actually uh, they um, are part of the Annenberg family, who are a big like California. Um, like philanthropists that okay. actually own a lot of Palm Springs. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> they have like this whole estate here. We're finding um, out called more. Sunny Lands. More. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they were, they were huge uh, donors as well. And um, yeah, it, pretty much that happened because one of my producers, uh, Seven Graham, who's an intersex artist and uh, a creative in LA, we met um, and immediately they wanted to help out with the film. And um, they were doing a talk with Stephen Fry via Skype at the Royal College of Arts in London mm-hmm. and kind of was like, oh, like, let's Skype in with them. And so we Skyped in and virtually met Stephen Fry at this talk talking about his book where he uh, wrote about intersex deities in Greek and Roman mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, and then essentially we got to talking about Pony Boy. He really liked what we said. He took a meeting late, uh, like a few weeks later in L.A., and immediately was on board and wrote us a check and then sent an email to Emma Thompson and then she did the same. And so it's, and yeah, it's, it was just pretty wild that like, you know, these two like kind of cultural leaders and icons and, you know, especially in the UK, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, here in America, we revere them too, but in the UK, they're like actual, like, you know, gods, gods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was so amazing to have their support because it made us realize that this isn't just like a queer or intersex cause or narrative or story. This is like a human story that, you know, needs to be heard. I mean, Steven, to this day, if I send him an email, he like responds like by 24 hours. And it, which is, I can't even say that for most of my friends. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, absolutely. What did having that kind of a budget for you up to do? Uh, like in terms of your own artistic vision that maybe uh, you wouldn't have been able to do without the uh, the cash. Right. Uh, even with the cash, it was... I mean, uh, sure, our yeah. budget total uh, ended up being 50K. Yeah. So still pretty micro. Yeah. For a student film, a lot. Um, uh, the budget allowed me to be able to go to New Jersey, and it was so important to get that just like even though it was just like 30% of the film actually ended up maybe on screen, actually it was like 10 to 15% of wow. it was actually in New Jersey. But those moments to me just like felt like the textures of New Jersey that we couldn't have gotten mm-hmm. in LA. Mm-hmm. So that was one, uh, just like the travel to go there. And the other was probably the car. <laughs> Getting really? that cool car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, uh, was a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, Good. No, but yeah, the the car was. Uh, what about the car? Uh, made it tough to. It was just yeah, renting it, it was yeah. it was pricey. Yeah. yeah, and then like uh, insurance around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Also, with the car came like VFX and mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. because we uh, couldn't get like a rig to actually like drive it. So some of the shots were uh, green screened and stuff. So that added, and you know kind of this like spiral of things yep. of just like if you know you think it do, it's not it's easy but then it's like oh it's just keep 
get more money. <laughs> yeah, some, want more money? Here sometimes, <laughs> like having you know a higher budget will do that, where you're like, oh, okay, like I can do whatever I want, and then it's like, oh no, now we're just going to be spending more and more right. and more money. Right, right, right. Um, but I, I actually want to talk a little bit about because the the film has such a unique look in terms of. Um, you know, aesthetically, and it's something that you've been, I think, experimenting with for a while is this sort of like neon yeah. vibe. Um, but, you, you know, I have, we haven't really spoken since you went started going to graduate school. So yeah. I was wondering, you know, what was it that you uh, like kind of were drawn to in graduate school in filmmaking? Um, what are the components of filmmaking that really like stick out to you as an artist? Um, I, so the, the, the look, I mean, I had, give thanks to my DP, uh, Maddie Leach, who she also went to um, uh, to my program. We were in the same cohort together at USC. But something that was important to me and I think was a testament to her, she came, she came from a photography background. Mm-hmm. So kind of like a fine art kind of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, mood and texture and atmosphere to me are far more important tools and, you know, kind of, how I envisioned the whole film. I kind of wanted, you know, to, I I wanted to place the audience like within Pony Boy's like world, but I guess everyone does that with with their their movies. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Some, some people are less like cognizant of that than others though. And like what that entails. So for you, what did that entail? For me, well, this is me also as an actor. I wanted to feel like I was in a Lana Del Rey music video the whole time. <laughs> so <laughs> that was probably one of the biggest inspirations. And, you know, she does that whole, like, retro, dreamy, glam thing. Um, so that was important for me to feel. Um, but I, I, mm, I, like, really try to create... Because something about the film that people have been telling me and is that like you, they can't really place what time period it takes mm-hmm. place. It's kind of this like omnipresent time, mm-hmm. um, and I, yeah, I kind of like working with you know creating a, a, a like a universe that's like kind of specific to itself, mm-hmm. um, and you know visually. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how this whole neon <laughs> thing came to be. It just kind of, uh, you know, I am inspired a lot by the actual, this one specific road in New Jersey that I used to hang out um, in high school and we used to, like, you know, go to McDonald's and just, like, hang out. I revisited it um, uh, about, like, three months prior to shooting and... I was shocked to find out that I was just kind of hanging out at this like one strip of highway that had all these strip clubs and like (laughs) motels. And then I actually rented a room for the hour because it's that kind of place that you could get a room for an hour. And it like, it, I opened the door and immediately I felt the presence of debauchery. Like I felt like, you know, the meth that had been taken there like yeah. a few hours before. Not even a few minutes later, I heard the sound of people having sex next door. Yeah. Like I, I to me, I, I took a class in at USC called uh, The Language of Landscape and it was all about how like 
the landscape itself, any landscape, not just a natural one, but an urban one, a suburban one, has a specific language that it communicates and expresses, uh, you know, states of mind, history, uh, you know, story, narrative. And so for me, building uh, the visual landscape as well as the story uh, involved me kind of like seeing New Jersey as a character itself. Oh, true. And how like how those, you know, how visually I saw New Jersey as a younger, you know, in high school mm -hmm. or even now, how that, like, how I could just communicate New Jersey right. through everything. Yeah, like what colors associate with New Jersey. Right. You know? Puke green laundromat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the Springsteen neon lights. Right, right, right. Um, we, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, this last night, but um, what, what do you think about, uh, you know, is... LGBTQ is that now a genre or is that something that uh, is that something that you like like to hear or is that something yeah. that you'd maybe like to reshape a bit? Well, it's definitely something that I'm reckoning with. Uh, like I was telling you last night, I I think that on one hand, we, you know, we share very similar stories and themes in our work. Having been to mostly queer film festivals um, in this festival run, I could you know definitely say that you know I could see you know, the things that we're still wrestling with as a community. Mm -hmm. And and it's important to to be up on screen and for, you know, people to see it and heal from it. Um, at the same time, though, it becomes kind of like a broken record a little bit when you're constantly seeing and, and seeing films of the same language, so to speak. Um, and, and it's so important to kind of say yes and or, like, tell me something I don't know. Like, what? It, what? how can we go beyond that? And so part of making Ponyboy was, like, how could we see this, you know, disenfranchised queer character and, you know, put a spin at the end that makes it so, like, it's there's some hope. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes in a lot of queer narratives, it's just so, like, tragic. And it's mm -hmm. so, like, you know, coming out and, like, you know, knowing accepting you or, like, you know, it's all these, like, kind of, uh, heavy you know, they're very they're very heavy, heavy stories right and i mean right. it is a heavy subject for right. you know a lot of uh people i mean it's the it's the thing that they've had to reckon with probably most in their life right and um, still reckon and with still reckon because with, it's sure. you know it's still hard to mm -hmm. be you know a queer person in mm -hmm. america let alone you know in other places in the world but um i think so it's imp to me i think it's it's cool that you know queer lgbtq plus you know, films are having like their, you know, genre and their own film festivals and stuff. But at the same time, I think we as uh, queer artists also have to, you know, take into command that we're also just artists as mm -hmm. well, that we're not, that this label that, that we, that we, you know, identify with and other people are giving to us, that these are also just labels. Mm -hmm. And not just labels, but they're labels. And, you know, the thing about labels is it it, it closes down what something is. Yeah, it diminishes. It, it you puts know. a box around things. Right. It puts a, a border. And sometimes it could be really helpful. And in my case, like learning the word intersex was incredibly clarifying. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have to reckon with well, what's beyond that, too. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of always like, 
you know, between the fences of like, you know, yes, I'm this, but I'm also that. Right. But it's I'm also this. Like you were saying that. earlier in the conversation, you don't want to be pigeonholed into one right. th- art thing. Like right. you're many different things as an artist. Right. This is one story that you have to tell. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan in general of people who subvert genre. So right. what your movie does is it, 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 it doesn't subvert genre necessarily it just tells its own story i guess or it 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 tells a story in a different way than like you said a lot of the like repetitive uh lgbtq plus stories that i have seen at some festivals um and yeah i don't know like how do you how do you subvert that genre how do you subvert that pigeonhole a tough I, question. I, know. I don't know if it's. You I can don't even. It yet. Yeah, I don't know. I, I. It's tough because it's also such a fresh new thing, right? That it's right. like. Well, for example, as I'm writing the the feature right now, I think something. So I had an acid trip <laughs> two weeks ago at a Grateful Dead concert. I don't do drugs, <laughs> um, but and you, Grape, shouldn't but either, at, you shouldn't either, unless you're at a Grateful Dead concert. Sure. Um, but something became very clear to me. I had this like very clarifying moment about something in the script that I had been kind of wrestling with and, and the secret or the, what I unlocked was that like (laughs) the key was something closer to my identity and closer to my experience being intersex. It was like some like plot point. And I was just like, Oh, well, what about like if pony boy needs to go to New York to get hormones from a, from a, a trans character that he's friends with. And I was just like, oh my God, that's so simple. But it took me so long to get that simple moment because I was trying so hard to kind of think of something outside of myself. Mm-hmm. When it was just like, wait, I take hormones every day. Like, I, th- that's something I do. Is like the answer was under my nose yeah. the whole time. So for me, I guess the way that I would want to subvert genre is just to literally tell us, personal and yeah. close of a story as I can because I don't I can't I don't know anything else better or I don't I'll never know anything closer to myself and then I also don't even know myself half the time yeah so it's like subvert you know. it's like this subverting comes from looking inward which is right 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 crazy and awesome I, yeah we're, we're we're doing it right now exactly. we're rolling <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of like this uh feedback loop yeah like you gotta go like and then spit it back out and then like, yeah, yeah yeah well i i guess i want to ask um you know just to wrap things up here this is the brave maker podcast yeah. um what does being a brave because you are certainly a brave filmmaker mm-hmm. i will give you the brave maker stamp of Thank approval you. he um, just stamped <laughs> me you can't yes, see it. you can't see uh <laughs> But you know what does what does that mean to you? What does being a brave maker mean to you, or a brave filmmaker, or a brave maker? I think being brave. Oh God, I'm gonna get so Brene Brown, but I love her. As I, I think being brave, a brave filmmaker and artist, uh, means that you have the courage to be vulnerable and to reveal more of yourself. I think you know, in a film landscape that like you know you'll make more money, you know. Talk, making a Marvel movie than you will, you know, something about like you and your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's brave to mm-hmm. to to make a story in which you're letting the audience in on a a part of your life, even if it's not autobiographical. I, I think it's our duty, or I think brave 
filmmakers make things that are at least emotionally autobiographical mm. or about like emotions or situations that are allegories to things that we've experienced um, and, and have overcome mm-hmm. and are able to share with other people, you know, part of that healing um, in order for other people to kind of have the strength to just like go on because it's, it's a hard world out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the best the best filmmakers or the best makers are the people that are able to do that in in a way that is easily like relatable to all of humanity. You know right. what I mean? Taking your own story, your own like emotional story, yeah, and yeah. figuring out where that stands in the human race, and then just you know right. expanding it on them on right. it that way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I I think you know it's hard. It's hard to have hope sometimes, mm. and it's and it almost feels corny too, or like you know to offer mm-hmm. people some kind of inspiration, or mm. you know. But I, honestly, sometimes things seem so rough. Like turn on the news, that like if you're not doing that, then like how are you contributing right. to you know? We're to in, the landscape. inundated by negativity all right. the time, and it's right, right. it's nice to have a little bit of hope. Right. And it's not like, you know, things have to be like that fucking like good vibes only shit. Right. Like, fuck right, those right. people. Yeah. But like, you know, like things are hard, but like, you know, kind of, you know, you could say something with crit, grit, mm-hmm. but still, you know, convey some kind of like, you know, keep on trucking vibes. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll go uh, listen to some Grateful Dead. Get some. <laughs> <laughs> keep on trucking. I can't believe I ended <laughs> with the Grateful Dead line. But yeah, I love them. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> All right, River. Well, it's been awesome. Um, Congrats on all your success and continued success. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's hoping for the future. Yes, thank you so much. Take it easy. (laughs) All right. BraveMaker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Thanks for listening to the BraveMaker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend.